0: what you do every week. So uh, isn't it neat to be in a church where you got people uh, singing, worshiping, raising children, adopting children, having children. A lot was displayed up there and uh, that's a neat thing to see. So uh, I hope you've had a good day. Everybody had a good day? Anybody here had a bad day? I know you've looked at your sheets. Now, if you don't have a sheet, you better get one or you'll be totally lost tonight. There's more sheets in the back. Would you mind getting some of those for us? Uh, Because I'm going to use the message translation tonight for a good reason. And you may not have the message translation. Anybody got the message translation here tonight? Get a sheet of paper. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, We're going to talk about a bad day. And uh, we're gonna talk about um, what you can do when you're having a bad day, and also how to never have the baddest of bad days, which is what we're gonna talk about tonight. But anyway, uh, before I get started, I wanna tell you what's coming up in six weeks. I need you, I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd here, right, the Wednesday night crowd knows to pray when we get ready to do mission work. And six weeks from today, we will land about this time in Bozeman, Montana, where there's 13 of us going, and we're gonna get into a 15 passenger van with our luggage. So pray there's room in that van for, I'm telling everybody one bag, just one bag. So we're gonna get in that van and travel down to a little town called Cowley, Wyoming, outside of Cody. The North American Mission Board uh, has started a church about four years ago, and a gentleman and his wife who worked for Samaritan's Purse for about four or five years felt the calling to help plant a church out there. So uh, it's in the middle of cowboy country, and uh, it's also in the middle of Latter-day Saint country. There are five little communities all within five to seven miles of each other, and it's a predominantly Latter-day Saint community. And so we as Southern Baptists are planting a church out there to have a Southern Baptist uh, influence there. So they've d- done well. They're meeting in a, a little small community center that's a big log cabin and has a gymnasium in it. It's an amazing structure. Uh, they now have over 100 people coming. And so they've tried vacation Bible schools. They've tried backyard Bible clubs. They've tried you know other little small Bible studies and homes. And they found that none of the traditional things worked out there. But the one thing that everyone does out there is rodeo. Problem is, all the real cowboys get in there and they're real competitive and all the uh, barrel racers are very competitive, but there's nothing to teach the children how to do that sport. So the pastor who's moved, who's moved out there is, has a horse training background. So he decided to do a children's rodeo. And he thought that the people might come and during the middle of that rodeo, they'd have somebody shoe a horse take just a stick of steel and bend it and just forge it through the fire and everything. And while he's bending that horseshoe and showing how that's done, he's using the analogy of how God takes us and refines us through fire and brings us into a new person and how we're born again, a new person with purpose. And so as he's shoeing that horse and putting it on there, he's sharing the gospel. Well, 400 people in this community, there's only 200 people in the community, but 400 people showed up to this rodeo. So when we went out there to find out, we, I met him at the, at the last year's convention, and uh, so he just said, what, what can we do? I said, what can we do? And he said, you can help me with this rodeo. I need you to send a support staff out to help do concessions, face paint the kids' little faces, uh, do the blow-ups? Make sure that not too many kids are jumping in there and you know getting each other hurt. We're just going to be behind the scenes, uh, cooking and and serving so that the people in the church can be out with the people in the community. So 13 people are leaving six weeks from today, and it's costing us about a thousand dollars a person to go. Uh, the church is going to help with some scholarships of that. They, we help with about 25 percent of the money for the scholarships, but some of the people aren't fully funded. And if you want to help towards help sending someone or obtaining food, it's going to cost about $1,600 worth of concessions. So anyway, if you want to help, send us, um, see me, uh, call me, whatever, and I'd be glad to, to talk with you about it. So pray for us six weeks from today and the Water of Life Church in Cali, Wyoming. Please write that down. Water of Life Church, Cali, Wyoming. God's going to do an amazing work there. So anybody in here had a bad day? Is anybody in here ever had a bad day? Okay, Monday, was a, Monday afternoon. Monday morning wasn't bad, but Monday afternoon was a bad day for me. And I had to have an attitude adjustment, my wife said. And so I got one. You know, and it actually turned out pretty good. But I had some things go wrong, some things that just you know, I was hoping that would go different didn't. and So I had a kind of a bad day. And it was really interesting that I read in my morning devotion the next morning this story. <clears throat> and as I read this story, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry, or to pray, or what to do. It was just absolutely hilarious. Can I share it with you? This is why well, I titled this story, this is my own title. It's called A Typical Man and a Helpful Wife, okay? A Typical Man and a Helpful Wife. According to a true story in a Florida newspaper, a man was working on his motorcycle, got my attention, and he was on his patio working on his motorcycle and his wife was inside the house in the kitchen. The man was racing the engine and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear. Still holding onto the handlebars, he was dragged through the glass patio door. Jimmy, do you hear an insurance claim coming? The motorcycle went through the glass patio door, Uh, and dumped onto the floor inside the house. The wife, hearing the crash, ran into the dining room and found the husband lying on the floor cut and bleeding. The motorcycle was lying next to him and the patio door of course was shattered so she ran to the phone and called for an ambulance. Because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down several flights of long steps to the streets to direct the paramedics to her husband. After the ambulance arrived and transported her husband to the hospital, the wife uprighted the motorcycle and pushed it outside. Seeing that gas had spilled on the floor, she obtained several paper towels and blotted up the gasoline and threw the towels in the toilet. The husband was treated at the hospital and was released to come home. After arriving home, he looked at the shattered patio door, the damage done to his motorcycle, and became very depressed. He went to the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and smoked a cigarette. Upon finishing the cigarette, he flipped it between his legs on the toilet and while he was still seated. Let's pause and pray. The wife heard a loud explosion and her husband was screaming. She ran into the bathroom and found her husband lying on the floor. His trousers had been blown away and he was suffering burns on his buttocks, the back of his legs, and his groin. She again ran to the phone and called for the ambulance. The same ambulance crew was dispatched and the wife met them at the street. The paramedics loaded the husband onto the stretcher and began carrying him to the street. And while they were going down the stairs, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife how the husband burned himself. She told him and the paramedics started laughing so hard that one of them tipped the stretcher and dumped the husband out. He fell down the remainder of the steps and broke his arm. And you think you had a bad day perspective is always kind of interesting. You know, We need perspective to understand how things can get the way they do. But um, tonight I want to uh, see what Jesus says about what could be the worst day of your life. Now all of us in here know Jesus, right? All of us in here have had relationship with Jesus. We followed Jesus. So this scripture tonight that I want to share with you is hopefully a wake up call, it was for me, it was a great reminder, and it was a pep talk for me. And I pray that it will be for you as well. Anyone know who Charles de Gaulle was? Some of us in here were alive when Charles de Gaulle was. Who was Charles de Gaulle? Prime Minister of France, Prime Minister of France. and what was he before Prime Minister? He was an army officer who fought the Nazis in World War II, and he's a man that also rewrote the Constitution. I became president in, I think, 65 to 69, and then uh, passed away a year later. But uh, he had an interesting quote. He said that history does not teach fatalism. People get the history that they deserve. People get the history that they deserve. And Jesus taught these two parables that I'm going to look at here today. And it, it talks about what it means to be ready for his return and how to live until he does. So turn in your Bibles. Uh, you may wanna just, if you don't, just, I want you to make notes in your Bible, because I know you don't have a message. You're gonna wanna take your sheet of paper. But turn to Matthew 24, and then we're gonna look at the first 30 verses of, of chapter 25 as well. But Matthew 24, you can look in your Bibles right now. Uh, Matthew 24 is an interesting chapter what is, it, what is it Matthew 24 about? Look at the heading at the top of Matthew chapter 24. Mine says, signs of the end of the age. And many people have looked at Matthew 24 and looked at the events that they're living in. Many generations have looked at this particular chapter and say, uh, where do we fit with the times and when Jesus might be coming. And so Matthew 24 has always been an interesting chapter for me, but to sum up what what he tells us to do, the application of Matthew 24 is in verse 42. He says, therefore keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you don't expect him. So now we're gonna pick up on, on the message. So everybody got their sheet of paper? This is where he picks up here and says some interesting things. He says, he, who here qualifies for the job of overseeing the kitchen. The person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day. That's who it is. Someone the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him doing his job. A God-blessed man or woman, I tell you. It won't be long before the master will put this person in charge of the whole operation. So what do we learn about those first few verses here? God is looking for someone for leadership. Not only that, God is looking for someone who's faithful. Faithful to the point that when no one's looking, they'll do the right thing. He also teaches a principle just in these first few verses that the person who does the right thing will be put in charge of more. Well, this same principle carries out the rest of the way through this passage. He says, but if this person only looks out for himself and the minute the master is away and does what he pleases, abusing the help and throwing drunken parties for his friends, the master's going to show up when he least expects it and it won't be pretty. He'll end up in the dump, the opposite here. He will end up the dump in the dump with the hypocrites, out in the cold, shivering and teeth chattering. How many of you have ever been so cold that your teeth are chattering? You ever been there? What was that like? When your teeth are chattering, you're basically losing control of your bodily functions, aren't you? I don't know about you, but I have to go to the bathroom when my teeth are chattering. I don't know about you all. Maybe I'm just weird. But it's a a perfect indicator of things uh, things are about to get out of control. So he says, they'll end up in the dump with the hypocrites out in the cold shivering and teeth chattering. Now, this doesn't sound like the regular Bible you read. Let me tell you a little bit about the message. It's written by a man by the name of Eugene Peterson who was a seminary professor for over 20 years and a pastor for 40 years. He took all of that experience and realized that people in his his congregation had not fallen in love with the word of God. And he said, I've got to find a way for people to fall in love and count on the word of God. And so he sent out on this venture that took him years to write the message. And at the front of the Bible, where did I write this? Here it was, at the front of my message study Bible, it says the message is a contemporary rending of the Bible from the original languages, crafted to present its tone, rhythm, events and ideas in everyday language. I wanna encourage you when you find a passage of scripture that you struggle with its meaning or you struggle with its understanding, the first one I go to is the message to read it because it, it's, like, it's like the meaning jumps off the pages. God used Eugene Peterson in an amazing way to write this piece. And so I've got a, uh, a parallel Bible here. Do uh, you think I've about wore it out? But it's got the New International Version on one side and the message on the other. And it's my go-to piece because I, I want to see it in a fresh way. And the way he vividly describes what's about to happen in these, in these two parables, uh, I had to use the message tonight because I hope, it, I hope that, that it would be a fresh look. All of us in here have looked at these two parables and understand a lot about it. And I wanted it to be fresh and new for you tonight. So here we go. We're now in, in chapter 25. Uh, the first one we're gonna look at is the parable of the 10 virgins. Now, we have weddings, but that's really all we can really tie our culture to, to this particular, it's hard, it's hard for us to understand exactly what's going on unless we study a lot, but he talks about the, God's kingdom being like 10 young virgins who took their oil lamps and went out to greet the bridegroom. Okay. The main thing I want us to get out of verse one is he says, God's kingdom is like, and a lot of the parables he says, the kingdom of God is like, or God's kingdom is like. Jesus is trying to explain to the people what God's kingdom is is truly like, and he uses vivid illustrations to explain himself. Now, God's kingdom was at hand when Jesus came. Heaven came down and visited earth when Jesus came. And during those three and some odd years, the Lord Jesus taught his people what the kingdom of God is like, is, and will be. So as we look at this tonight, He says, God's kingdom is like 10 young virgins who took oil lamps and went down to greet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took lamps but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. Anyone ever ran out of gas? How many of you in here ran out of gas? Okay. Now, you will understand then that this fuel is important. You know how important it is? Have you been to the gas station lately? Fuel is important and it's expensive now. Energy is always going to be expensive. Energy is always important. Well, he says five were silly, five were smart. Some took uh, oil, some didn't. The smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up until when they, the the bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him. This is a hint from Jesus. In, In the previous chapter and in this chapter, both in these parables and the third parable, Jesus is trying to tell the people it's going to be a while before he comes back. But the people didn't understand at the time. He says, the kingdom of God is like this, and the bridegroom did not show up when they expected him, and they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, he's here, the bridegroom's here, go out and greet him. The ten virgins got up, got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, our lamps are going out, lend us some of your oil. So I had a friend. My, a real close friend, my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Dave, I won't use his last name because you may know him, I doubt you do, but you know, I'm on television, I don't wanna slander this guy too bad and let somebody else know, but Dave was a charmer. Shell knows exactly who I'm talking about. He was a charmer. He never had to plan for anything, he never had to earn anything, and he just got by with, hey, you know, uh, I need to borrow your car because I haven't gone out and got a job and you know, got one, so I need to borrow a car. Have you got $15 I can borrow? And then when he finally got a car, I need some wheels for my car, could I borrow some money? And I it wasn't just me, I wasn't the special one. He did this to everybody. He was one of those silly virgins that he's talking about in here, the ones that never planned for anything, never really took uh, uh, responsibility for anything. So I understand these virgins here vividly because I had a a perfect illustration of of a good friend the same way. Now here's what I didn't tell Dave, but this is what they told the virgins. They answered, there might not be enough to go around. Go buy your own. They did, but while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived, and when everyone was there to greet them, had gone to the wedding feast, which is where they wanted to go, the door was locked. Much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door saying, Master, we're here, let us in. And notice what he says. He answered, do I know you? I don't think I know you. So stay alert, Jesus says. You have no idea when he might arrive. Another hint that he was trying to tell them. But what I need you to learn and this, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this parable here. What I need you to learn from this is that every person is responsible for their own faith. Everyone is responsible for their own condition, their own spiritual condition. A lot of people think they're gonna get by because their families are members at First Baptist Church. And I've always gone to church with them, and I've been there, I've been faith- no. You're responsible for your own spiritual condition and we sometimes need to be like the smart virgins and say no, you need Jesus. You need to get salvation. You need to take care of what's important. I've already done this. You need to as well. I can't help you, but Jesus can. And he says, so stay alert. You have no idea when I may arrive. But the next one is the one I want to spend the most of the time on tonight. The story about investment. He says, it's also the kingdom of God is also like a man going off on an extended journey trip you get the other hint where is he going off on an extended trip he called his servants that's another important word he called his servants together now how many of you in here are servants of God raise your nuts don't be ashamed here I want you I'm asking this question for a reason how many of you in here are servants of God some of you yeah we're all servants of God here okay he called his servants together and delegated responsibilities sounds like a good leader doesn't it he's leaving going out on an extended trip he calls his servants together and delegates responsibilities now if you're a manager Do you give everybody on the staff the same responsibility? If you were a manager and you're going off on an extended trip, would you give everyone the same responsibility? Nope. Why? Because some can do what others can't. Because some can do what others can't. Some can do more and some can't. We're all gifted differently. Okay, so here we go. He called his servants together, delegated responsibilities, and he gave one of them $5,000, okay? Look in your Bible and say, and not not the message, but look, what does the Bible say? He gave to one five what? Talents, what's a talent? It's what? It's a currency of the time. Yes, not only is it a currency of the time, it's a huge currency. If you look down in your Bibles, you'll see probably a footnote right around that talent section, and it will say that a talent was worth 20 years wages of the common laborer, okay? So I need you to get your smartphones out. Everybody get your smartphones or a calculator, you know, or you know what, just get a sheet of paper, Ken. You can probably do this for me on a sheet of paper, would you, okay? Okay, here we go. I got on census.gov, And looked up Dixon County. I wanted to find what the median income for every household in Dixon County is. You know what it is? It's fifty seven thousand eight hundred and four dollars is the median income, that's the average income of every household in Dixon County as of since the years two thousand twenty to twenty-two. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. He gave The first one, how many talents? Because he's using dollars here to help us make sense, but it it really, I want you to understand the magnitude of this. He gave the first servant five talents. So take $57,804, that's one year, times 20. Times five. You gave him five talents. It's how much? $5.78 million. In today's dollars, that's that. You see, it, it's, all, it's all relatives. Okay, so if this was to happen today, he gave the first servant $5.78 million to take care of while he's gone on an extended trip. Okay, so what would he do with the, the next one? To another two talents. So do that math. times 20 years times two. It's $2.3 million. The other one, the third, was given one talent. One talent times 20 years is $1.16 million. Now, if you were gonna give your three servants, that kind of money, what would you expect? Now, I know you know the story, okay? You've, we've all read this, but just put it in relative terms. What would you expect of those three servants as a master? Hmm? good stewards. Good stewards, absolutely. So what he says here is very important to us. He gave them five, two, and one, what does it say after that? Depending on their abilities, just like you said, Josh. He gave these to them depending on their abilities and then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work. Doubled his master's investment. The second one did the same but the man with the single talent dug a hole carefully and buried his master's money. After a long absence, Jesus tried trying to tell us again. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed up and told him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him, said good work, you did your job well, from now on, be my partner. Now what's it say in the Internet, New International, King James, New King James? He didn't say be my partner, what did he say? Look in your Bibles. He didn't say be my partner, what did he say? Some would say he'll, he'll make you a ruler. You know, and he also said somewhere else in the Bible says, be faithful in, a little, in the little things and I'll make you ruler over much. They became rulers, they became partners. Okay, so flip the page over. The servant with 2,000 showed up and he also had doubled the master's investment. Do you notice the five and two talent men? Both did the same. They accomplished the same results. They both doubled their investment. His master also commended him and said, good work. You've done your job well. From now on, be my partner. The ser- servant given one thousand said this. Now, on the surface, the one talent guy is very eloquent with his nut, with his his his. Uh, he he blows sunshine up his nostrils. He he's he makes all the right sounds. But look what he says, Master. I know you have high standards. A compliment. You hate careless ways, compliment, and you demand the best. Boy, this sounds like a great employee to say, Oh, I just love my boss. He has all these credentials, he has all these qualities. He wants high standards. He wants wants us not to be careless in the way we act. He He demands the best, and he makes no allowances for error. But here's the only truthful statement he makes I was afraid. That's the only truthful statement he makes. I was afraid. I was afraid that I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place, secured your money, and here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. You know, if, that, if he'd went first and the other two had gone second and third, this might have even sounded good to a rational human being. You know Why? Because this is where Christians are today. I'll explain here in a minute. Look at what the master said. Was the master happy? The master was furious. Has a boss ever been furious with you? I hope you've never been there. But you, Well, that's different. You can, that's a whole different story, you being furious with your boss. But with your boss being furious with you, I've, I've had the, well, I shouldn't say that because tomorrow it could change. I've never been fired. I've never lost a job. I've been very thankful. I was laid off for a few months, went and got a two, two different jobs at two different aircraft companies, led people to Jesus. One of them is now as a minister of music and the other one's a, a preacher, preacher and they called me back to work there and then I quit on my own terms later on. But I've never lost a job and I've been very thankful for that. So I don't know what it's like to have a master furious with me. But here's what he said. The master is furious, that's a terrible way to live. It's criminal. Listen to me, listen to the Word of God. It's criminal to live cautious like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest with the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb person and throw him into utter darkness. I don't know about you, but I don't ever wanna be a servant of God and Jesus say to me the things that he's explaining that he will say to those who are one talent people who choose not to do anything with the one talent, but to be fearful, to be lazy, to be Cautious, so cautious that they won't even do anything with what God has given them. So here's where, here's where, here's the pep talk coming. Christians have to quit being worldly. Christians have to stop looking at other people and comparing themselves to one another. Here's here's what it is. We all want to be five-talent people. And when we're not five-talent people, here's what we do. Well, here's where I was. Dave, Dave, you know, got something out of everybody, didn't have to do anything. My senior year in high school, Dave pulls up, My car's broke down. I'm trying to put a transmission in it. I'm trying to figure out how to pay for this transmission. And Dave pulls up in a brand new Trans Am. His daddy bought him a new Trans Am for his senior year in high school. And I was upset, jealous. Felt like, you know, he didn't deserve this. The fact of the matter is none of us deserve anything we get and the fact is some of us can do more than others some of us are just gifted more than others also the fact of the matter is is that we all have been given a gift and, and it's not about who gets the most it's what we do with what we've got but here's where we get to the American church We don't deal with what we've been given. We are, con- we are convinced that if we go to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, we've done our thing. We're, we've exercised our gift. We've accomplished we've arrived. We're, we're there. And that's not what this is where we come to worship. But the world that God has given us, the things that he's given, the relationships. Well, let me just tell you four important things, and I'll, and I'll come back to We have, God has given us relationships. He's given us finances. He's given us careers. And he's given us a walk with him as far as responsibilities. Major responsibilities that we're supposed to do something with. Those are talents. Those, those are, it's not just money. It's also our careers, it's our walk with God, it is our relationship, it is our family, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors, our associates. You know, you, people, you work with people and you have people in the neighborhood that you don't call them friends, but you associate with them. How many people have you been just around this much and they've made a large impact on you? You don't know where they live, you don't know uh, all their financial condition. You don't know all their personal background, but they made a huge impression on you. And you change something in your life or you s- decide to see something differently just by an association. We forget the power and the influence and the talent that God has given us on this earth. And we don't use it wisely. We bury it. And sometimes we bury it in these chairs. And we come and we sit on it. Sunday morning. We come back on Wednesday night, we sit in it again, and then we go home and we just live our life. But our talent's buried within the church walls, and we don't apply it where we're supposed to be. So there's three things that I want you to ponder. There's hopefully you got a pencil and paper here tonight. I want you to think about these things. The first thing is we must realize that everyone gets an uneven amount of opportunity. Everyone gets an uneven amount of opportunity. Some of you in here will inherit a fortune. Now, a fortune is, to some people, it's thousand dollars. To some, the people in Cuba, if you inherit $500, you're a millionaire. But some of you in here will inherit more money than others. Some of you in here make more money than others. Some of you in here have businesses. Some of you don't. Some of you in here is gonna get a tax return. Some of you will be paying more. Some of you set aside your first fruits of your labor, and some of you don't. Those that don't could really help our church dramatically. So, all of us, now I'm just, I'm just talking about money here, but that goes all the way around. We are all given an uneven amount of opportunity. Some of us have had great opportunities for great career choices. Others of us haven't had that opportunity. Some of us are just have a different set of circumstances. Some of us have a great husband. And some of us are widows, we're widowers. This whole life is it's uneven in its circumstances. And God likes it that way. Because He wants us to depend on Him. And He wants to get His message out. And He does it in a unique way that doesn't seem fair to a lot of us until we realize that, you know what? I don't deserve anything that I've gotten. So we have to realize that everyone gets an uneven amount of opportunity. Number two, everyone is held accountable for what they do with their opportunity. You're gonna be held accountable for what opportunities the Lord has given you. And number three, everyone is responsible for leveraging their opportunity to the maximum. The reason for that is Jesus said, look, very good job well done, now be my partner. Very good, job well done, now be my partner. But also, to the one who did nothing and hid it, what did he say? That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why'd you do do, do less than the least? Church, don't do less than the least with your opportunities. I'm afraid that we've taught our people to be too calm, cool, and cautious in this world, to be too safe, not to take risk. Jesus took a risk every single day. Jesus feared no one or nothing. They knew they were out to kill him. He knew they were out there. He knew that they was out to kill him. He continued on all the way to the end. He had nothing to lose, and guess what? Neither do we. We have nothing to lose except temporal things. Our life's already secure. Our salvation is secure. Why do we live cautiously? Why do we live like scared people? Why do we bury our talents when we should be leveraging our opportunities to the maximum? So, the last thing, and then we're gonna get out of here. Take advantage of relationships. God has these relationships in your, family, in your life for a reason. Don't forget your family, friends, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, and associates. Be the witness. Number two, your finances. Use those finances for the glory of God. Your career, it's your daily chance to exercise your gifts and talents nobody your your spouse knows you well your family knows you well the only other people that know you fairly close to that is your work counterparts the people that you work with eight to ten hours a day five days a week it's your daily chance to exercise your gifts and talents i heard about a guy who wasn't the leader at his shop he wasn't the boss he wasn't the second in charge he was a he was a common laborer. And his expression that he told everyone in the warehouse and also those that worked upstairs in the offices was, today's the best day of my life because I know Jesus. Today's the best day of my life because I know Jesus. Something happened one day in the warehouse <clears throat> and he was, would hook on huge pieces that would hook on to slabs of, of granite, you know, like granite for your countertops and kitchens. And somehow the two clamps didn't get caught right and and the slabs of concrete, or slabs of granite weighed approximately a thousand or so few pounds a piece. And the jaws didn't grab it and the slabs fell on the man and he died. Just it happened last summer. He had such an impact in his work community that everyone showed up and even the spouses and many of the kids because this man had such an... Everybody knew about this guy and who he was. He was an interim preacher. He'd go around to different churches and preach. And uh, every day is the best day of my life, he'd say, because I know Jesus. There was one man that worked out there that refused to listen to this, this talk. And when he lost his life, Two days later, he gave his life to Jesus. If you think you're not in your work environment to make a difference, you have buried your talent. You've lived cautiously, you've lived criminally and you have done the less, done less than the least when we live this way. Well, this man made such an impact that people are crying all over North Alabama a year later, and they have decided to make things right in their life. A man who wasn't on the leadership or wasn't in huge and and successful in the world's eyes, but boy, did he make a difference. Number four, I wanna talk to you about your walk with God. How's your walk with God? If we talked about the maturity of your walk with God, where are you? I wrote these down as I was thinking about it. Are you an infant? Are you totally dependent on others? How many of you in here have had an infant, taken care of an infant? Are they not totally dependent on others? In your walk with God, are you totally dependent on what the pastor preaches, on what the Sunday school teacher teaches? are, Are you just having to get from them that daily dose so that you can go on in your Christian walk? You're an infant. Are you a toddler? You can feed yourself. I think that's right. Michelle, can toddlers feed themselves? Yeah, bigger toddlers. They can feed themselves, but that's it. They still gotta have somebody change their diaper, bathe them, clothe them. I mean, they can't get dressed. Are you a toddler where you can start to feed yourself? You can start to read the Bible, and you, but I don't know where. Somebody's got to show me where to read the Bible. I got, I'm ready to read it, but I've got I to have somebody teach me how to read the Bible. Are you a toddler? Are you a child? You're a learner. Everything's new. That's why we send our children to school. They don't know nothing. We gotta teach them everything. They don't know nothing yet. Are you a child? But are you a teenager? Are you a teenager in your walk with God? Here's what I wrote down about teenagers. They begin to experience some responsibilities, but they can't be trusted. I was a teenager, I couldn't be trusted when I was 14 years old, you don't have restricted driver's license. Did y'all get a restricted driver's license when you was younger? You could drive back and forth to school and you could drive back and forth to work, but that was it. So mom and dad went off on an extended getaway, okay? They, walked, they went on an extended three-day weekend. Todd, you can drive to and from work and to and from school. I've already wrote down the odometer and I know how, long it, how far it is to work and how far it is to school and that odometer better not say anything more than that. No problem, Dad. No problem. So I thought, okay, he's got this figured out. It's three and a half miles in, three and a half miles out. that's seven, then I got two miles over to work, two miles, back, another four, so I had some time, three days, I did all the math. I said, okay, I need to run about 67 miles off this car and then disconnect the speedometer cable. So I ran the miles off the car and pulled it up there and crawled underneath, disconnect the speedometer cable. I put a plastic bag over it, shoved the plastic cap in so wouldn't water wouldn't, I was smart. And I went all over. I drove all over the place, had a great three days. Come back in, dad looked at the odometer, good. Are you a teenager in your walk with God? Is God encouraging, telling you the rules of what it's supposed to be and say, oh, wait a minute, I know how to do it around, you know, I know that I'm not supposed to do this, but I can do this, because it doesn't say that, and I can do this and everything's fine, no. You can't be trusted. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but if you're struggling with the word and trying to get around and find loopholes in this, you're a teenager. You've got some responsibilities. You're starting to learn some things, but you can't be trusted. Have you become an adult? You're responsible for serving God and others and leading others. That's a good place to be. Become a mature in your faith. You've got a good walk with God. I got 40 seconds left, so here we go. This is where a lot of us, self-included lie. Are you an older, mature adult? I'm an older adult and I'm working on the mature, but are you an older, mature adult? Do you know what you can do are when you're an older, mature adult with your walk with God? You're a mentor. You're a person who teaches others by your example and by your experience. Listen, folks, you may think your life is coming to a climax and you know what my best days are behind me not according to god you've all had grandmas and grandpas right you've all had someone older in your life that made a difference they said something they cautioned they did something that made a difference i had a grandfather i had a grandmother and i fell to pieces the day they went to heaven for all that they've done for me. Don't lose, don't don't let your physical body that's not what it used to be, Ken, we're not what we used to be, right? Don't let that stop you. Be an older, mature adult because some days, some of your best days are today if you're being a mature adult. So I guess what I'm trying to say through this is, Jesus taught these two parables to tell us what to watch out for, at how to live until he comes. Some of us in here are five bag of talent people. Some of us are two bag of talent people. And some of us are just one talent people. But let me tell you something. As I studied this, the one talent person doesn't stay a one talent person if he does what Jesus told them. Because if you got one talent, and you invest it, what happens? If he just did what the other two did, what would he be? He'd be a two-talent person. You take those two talents and you double that investment and all of a sudden you're a six-talent person. Did I do my math right, is that right? No, I ain't right. If you take one, then you become two, then you become a four-talent, and then you become an eight-talent. You were listening. It's a, bunch. it's a bunch. And if you take eight and you, multi- and you double, you're at your 16 talents. See, we don't understand what God's trying to teach us sometimes. We want to sit around and cry because I'm just a one-bag-of-talent person. You just be obedient, do what you're told, and all of a sudden you're a 16-bag guy. And you know why I know that? It's because I was a one-talent guy. Michelle has a brother that was a five-talent guy. But the five-talent guy did what the one-talent guy did. Mike had scholarships, what is it? Is it the ACT or the SAT that's to get into college? Which one is it? Huh? Yeah, okay. Well, but his score was way up here, had all the potential. He even thought about the ministry. But then he decided to do it his way, not God's way. Meanwhile, his brother and his sister sat back there in the back. They weren't the special one. Mike was the special one. Today, the one-talent brother is a pastor at a church. it has been pastors in big churches and small churches, doing very well. Mike's one talent sister sitting back there, married a great guy, (laughs) has a successful business downtown, she raised five kids, now we have 11 grandchildren, or is it 10, how many is it? Huh? 11, yeah, we got 11 today. You know where Mike's at? Living in a trailer house, a custodian in a college, an alcoholic and has already used up all of his vacation. It's April 20th because he buried his talent. So you can be a five-talent person and do one-talent stuff, and God will judge you. There's nothing worse than miserable Christians. Mike's a Christian, but he's miserable on this earth. And, he's, and he's, he's, of, he's of no influence. And you know where his walk with God is? He's totally dependent on others. See, there's something about doing something with what God's gave you. The last thing I told you, everyone is responsible for leveraging their opportunity to the maximum. If we don't, God is furious. And I don't care, I know God's great, I know that God is loving, I know that God is gracious and he's forbearing and all those things. But he's also furious. Jesus said so. We don't preach this enough. Jesus is furious. And you know why he's furious? Because her brother sitting in a trailer house working at a college when he could have been leading people to Jesus don't tell me Jesus isn't furious so I hope this is a pep talk to you because it's sure been a pep talk to me and I don't want to stand before the Lord at the end of my days and he say It's a terrible way you've lived. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do the less, do less than the least? Instead, I wanna be the one, he says, well done. You're a partner. May we all be partners. Let's stand, we'll go, to, go home. Let's sit, stand. Jimmy, would you close the prayer tonight, please?